Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has issued a, it's hard to say, it's an acknowledgement. Some are saying it's not an apology. He uses the word confession in it, but there is much outrage today all over social media, all over the news, um, saying that Benedict XVI has been caught in a lie and he's not truly apologizing. In other words, he's only acknowledging what has happened because he got caught in what appears to be a lie. And I'm going to explain um, what the controversies all about. I mean, you even have people like Joe Rogan spouting off on this. Um, I don't want to give too much analysis. I know that this is this topic is sensitive. It's highly charged. Um, a lot of people live on the dialectic that Francis is the bad Pope and Benedict's the good Pope. So I'm concerned that some of my audience will hear me say things that display Benedict in a bad light. And I just want everyone to take a deep breath. Um, so I'm going to give the explain the controversy and how basically there was a, a meeting in which an abuser priest was transferred, made had more access to children. Very sad, very evil. Benedict said he wasn't there and it turned out he was there. Anyway, I'm going to go into it, explain the controversy and then look at the response. And I'm going to try not to give much of my own analysis or opinion on it, just facts today. So uh, again, it's a sensitive topic. It's very sad. And um, we're going to ask God to bless us. We'll pray the Our Father together in Latin, and then we'll we'll get into the info. All right. Oremus nomini patris et fidei et spiritus sancti. Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secut in celo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Secut in nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomini Patris et Fidii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to read to you today Benedict XVI's, um, whatever we're calling this, acknowledgement, confession, apology, is an apology. I'll let y'all decide that. Uh, I'm not sure, to be quite honest. But here's the controversy. Here's what's going on. It all goes, well, not all of it, but a big part of this discussion goes back to a meeting in 1980, January 15th, 1980. Uh, it's There's, I think, four or five priests involved in this situation, but the most notorious is Father Peter Hollerman. He is accused of abusing 23 boys all under the age of 16 from 1973 until 1996 horrific serial abuse serial abuse in the catholic church and there was a meeting in 1980 in which this priest transferred from the diocese of essen to the diocese of munich um, was discussed and originally, when this came out, Pope Benedict said, put out a statement, I wasn't even there. I wasn't at this meeting. So how can you, you know, try to muddy me with it? Well, 
some fact checkers came along and it's shown that Bennett the 16th was at the meeting that discussed the transfer of this offending priest. And there's all different degrees of, well, how much did they know about his offense? Was he an exhibitionist only? Was he an actual abuser? There's clearly, they know there's something wrong um, with this priest. Um, and of course, he went on to continue to abuse uh, children until 1996. So for another 16 years. And Ratzinger sat in on this discussion, which, uh, however it was arranged, whatever the outcome, it went, it yielded the fact that this Father Holberman, should we even call him Father? No. Um, he should have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea, according to our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but he was permitted to serve without restrictions in Munich while Ratzinger was in charge. That's my understanding of it. I hope I didn't get any of it wrong. I've been reading different things. One of the really helpful um, takes on this actually comes from a man that I really do respect, uh, Edward Penton, who is a Catholic journalist in Rome. And he has, uh, an, if you want to get into the to all the details, and especially a defense of Pope Benedict XVI, I'd encourage you to go to the National Catholic Register, and you can see this article. Let me share it with you. It's Benedict's advisors provide analysis on Munich abuse report rebutting criticisms of full text. So, you know, as you can imagine, you know, when this stuff comes out about Benedict, there it is right there at the National Catholic Register. And he says, I wasn't there. And then he was there. The whole world is like, you just got caught. This looks really, really bad. Either, you know, and we could, we could, you know, ascribe this to he's an old man who can't remember. Uh, he has bad advisors. There was bad research going into it. In fact, when you look at the fact check sheet that Ed Penton produced, which came out actually today, uh, he goes through the allegations against Ben the 16th and either explains why they're not true or explains why there's likely no culpability or little culpability with Joseph Ratzinger. Um, for example, in the report on abuses on the Archdiocese of Munich, it says Joseph Ratzinger, contrary to what he claimed in the memorandum drafted in response to the experts, was present at the meeting of the ordinariate on January 15, 1980, in which the priest was discussed. And it is claimed that Cardinal Ratzinger had employed his priest, this priest in pastoral activity, even though he was aware of the abuses committed by him and thus would have covered up his sexual abuses. Now, Ed Penton has this response to that. And again, I'm not giving my analysis. I'm just trying to be objective here. It says Joseph Ratzinger was neither aware that the priest was an abuser nor that he was included in pastoral activity. The records show at the meeting of the ordinariate in 1980, it was not decided to engage the priest in pastoral activity. The records also show that the meeting in question did not discuss the fact that the priest had committed sexual abuse. It was exclusively a question of accommodating the young priest in Munich because he had to undergo therapy there. This request was complied with during the meeting. The reason for the therapy was not mentioned. It was not decided at the meeting to engage the 
the abuser in pastoral work. Okay, that that right there does seem to mitigate the culpability of Ratzinger or take it away. But I mean, I have to ask, and the world is asking, okay, so it doesn't say put him into pastoral work in the minutes of that meeting where Ratzinger was. But we do know that he did go into pastoral work. And we do know that he was being, he had to undergo therapy for something. Um, so there is an awareness of something bad in this priest. And we do know that he was allowed to continue to go on. And it's sad. It's horrible. It's horrible. And uh, I, you know, there's, I can't say anything else. It's just horrible. So uh, if you want to read the, I mean, literally, if you go on any news site today, the headline is Pope Benedict blankety blank, blank, blank. Um, for example, I just pulled up one here. The Guardian, sex abuse victims lament lack of full apology from former Pope Benedict XVI. It says victims have lamented a lost opportunity for healing as former Pope Benedict has acknowledged errors in his handling of sexual abuse and asked for forgiveness, but his lawyers argued that he was not directly to blame, and so on and so forth. Um, so, and just for reference, I think Pope Ben the Sixteenth is ninety-four right now, so he is he is elderly, and uh, this is tragic. And it, it, you know, as as someone who studies the recent church history and the mess that we're in right now globally, it kind of makes you think back to two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. I've done a lot of videos. Why did Pope Ben of the 16th resign. I talk about it at length in infiltration. And um, it kind of makes you wonder, did, even back then, did Pope Benedict know that the file wasn't clean? You know, and did other people know? Is this part of the resignation? I don't know. Um, yeah, so let me read the uh, statement that Pope Benedict XVI Emeritus put out. Sorry, let me get the right tab. Here it is. So I'm going to read the full text. It's rather short. It came out today at 5 a.m. So this is brand new. Um, you probably haven't heard it. So I'm just going to read the uh, the English text to you. Again, it's, it's short. It'll just take me a, a minute or two. Benedict XVI, Vatican City, February 8th, 2022. The following is the full text of the letter by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI addressing the report on abuse of the Archdiocese of Munich, Freising. This English translation of the original German text was released by the Vatican on February 8th. That's today. Just remember, Rome times before us over here in America. Dear Sisters and brothers is how it opens. Following the presentation of the report on the abuse of the Archdiocese of Munich, Freising on 20 January last, I feel the need to address a personal word to all of you. Even though I served as the Archbishop of Munich and Freising for a little less than five years, I continue to feel very much a part of the Archdiocese of Munich and to consider it home. I would first like to offer a word of heartfelt thanks in these days marked by examination of conscience and reflection. I was able to experience greater friendship and support and signs of trust than I ever could have imagined. I would like to thank in particular the small group of friends who selflessly compi comp compiled on my behalf my 82-page testimony 
for the Munich law firm, which I would have been unable to write by myself. I just want to pause here. How odd is it that not only in our time we have a pope who wrote an abdication letter, continues to wear white, continues to wear a white together. There's another pope, Francis Bergoglio, who month after month confuses the faithful and has taught theological error, yes, even heresy, as of in the last eight days, saying that no one can separate them from themselves from the church or for the communion of saints. See my video from last week. Getting lots of response on that one, both, po both positive and negative. But I have to cover these things. You know, you can't, just because a man wears a white cassock doesn't mean that he gets to teach heresy to the entire world. Especially when Pius Twelfth, a pope in a magisterial document, said that you can separate yourself from the church by schism, heresy, and apostasy. And Francis says the exact opposite. But not only do we have all of that confusion going on right now, we also have Papa Emeritus Benedict XVI writing documents in response to a law firm in Munich. It's completely upside down. What a mess. And the people who look down their nose at you and at me and say, how dare you say there's problems in the church? How dare you? No. How dare these people to drag Holy Mother Church through the mud? <sighs> All right. Continuing to read Pope Benedict. In addition to responding to the questions posed by the law firm, this also demanded reading and analyzing almost 8,000 pages of documents in digital format. These assistants then helped me to study and analyze the almost 2,000 pages of expert opinions. The result will be published subsequently as an appendix to my letter. Amid the massive work of these days, the development of my position, an oversight occurred regarding my participation in the Chancery meeting on the 15th of January, 1980. This error, which regrettably was verified, was not intentionally willed, and I hope may be excused. So this is what I was talking about in the opening show. This meeting is a clinch meeting because the said priest who molested so many children, boys, uh, he was discussed. That makes Ratzinger, Ben XVI, look really bad. What was Ratzinger, Ben XVI's response? I wasn't at that meeting, so I'm not guilty. Well, you were at the meeting. So now there's egg on the face. This is completely embarrassing for Ben the Sixteenth, and it's embarrassing for the entire Catholic Church to say, "No, uh, uh, I wasn't there." And then it's like, "Well, actually, you were." And you're like, "Oh, I was there." Darn it! <clears throat> this error, continuing, this error, which regrettably was verified, was not intentionally willed, and I hope may be excused. I then arranged for Archbishop Ganswein to make it known in the press statement on the 24th of January, last. In no way does it detract from the care and diligence that, for those friends, were and continue to be an evident and absolute imperative. 
To me, it proved deeply hurtful that this oversight was used to cast doubt on my truthfulness and even to label me a liar. I'm going to pause here. So yes, I understand if it's a mistake, it is a mistake. But it, you know, in doing the research of the 8,000 pages and the 2,000 pages of expert opinions, if they missed something as critical as was Ratzinger at the meeting or not at the meeting, and they got that wrong, it kind of makes us worry. It makes me worry. What else did they get wrong? Are they just defending Ben to the 16th? Or are they getting the facts right? An integral element to this discussion was Ratzinger there or not. And they said he was not, but he was. Okay, so he says, in no way does it detract from the care and diligence that for those friends were and continue to be an evident and absolute imperative. To me, it proved deeply hurtful that this oversight was used to cast doubt on my truthfulness and even to label me as a liar. At the same time, I have been greatly moved by the varied expressions of trust, the heartfelt testimonies, and the moving letters of encouragement sent to me by so many persons. I want to pause here. This is maybe the only part of the letter that I really do object to because it feels like gaslighting. Like, how dare people use this error to call me a liar? Now, we can explain why the mistake was made and all that, but if you're in a if you're being tried for something criminal or accused for something criminal and you create an, you claim an alibi that you weren't there and then it turns out that that's not true, the immediate assumption just in human relationships is you just lied. Now, there might be a reason of why you made a mistake, but it feels like a lie. So he can't really... I understand where he's coming from and I mean, we've always been there. But he says it was deeply hurtful that this oversight was used to cast doubt on my truthfulness. And he has to understand, well, this is a highly charged discussion in a perhaps the most important detail in it, which was your alibi, was proved to be false. And so people are really upset. I'm particular in this. Oh, OK. There's one other part. This one right here. I'm particularly grateful for the confidence, support, and prayer that Pope Francis personally expressed to me. Lastly, I would like to, to thank the little family at Matra Ecclesia Monastery, whose communion of life in times of joy and sorrow has given me the interior serenity that supports me. Now, there's some people who believe that Francis is evil and Benedict is good, and deep down in his heart, Benedict is going to save the church from Francis through a plan. And over and over again, we see Benedict taking photos with Francis, praising Francis, embracing Francis, shaking Francis's hand, and here once again, showing his gratefulness for the confidence, support, and prayer of Pope Francis. Now, those people will just say, well, Benedict didn't write all of this. This was all prepared by the handlers. Could be. Could be, but I see a lot of smiles on Benedict's face when he is with Francis. And of course, that does hurt me. Not going to lie. Maybe it hurts you too. All right, here's the uh, conclusion. Right here. This is the what he calls the confession part. Now, to these words of thanks, there must necessarily also fall, follow a confession. 
Benedict says, I am increasingly struck by the fact that day after day, the church begins the celebration of Holy Mass in which the Lord gives us his word and his very self with the confession of our sins and a petition for forgiveness. We publicly implore the living God to forgive the sins we have committed through our fault, through our most grievous fault. It is clear to me that the words most grievous do not apply each day and to every person in the same way, yet every day they do cause me to question if today too I should speak of a most grievous fault. And they tell me with consolation that however great my fault may be today, the Lord forgives me. If I sincerely allow myself to be examined by him, and I am really prepared to change. And I think the critics who are the unhappy, the victims are unhappy because they're saying, well, great, you're saying that God, you've asked forgiveness from God and God has forgiven you and everyone can accept that and agree on that. But do we need to ask forgiveness from the people who were hurt? From the, the children and the parents that were betrayed so, so profoundly. And that's not mentioned here. And that's, I think, why people are, are hurt, upset. In all my meetings, he says, especially during my apostolic journeys with victims of sexual abuse by priests, I've seen at firsthand the effects of a most grievous fault. And I've come to understand that we ourselves are drawn into this grievous fault whenever we neglect it or fail to confirm it with the necessary decisiveness and responsibility as too often happened and continues to happen. As in those meetings, once again, I can only express to all the victims of sexual abuse my profound shame, my deep sorrow, and my heartfelt request for forgiveness. I have had great responsibilities in the Catholic Church. All the greater is my pain for the abuses and the errors that occurred in those different places during the time of my mandate. Each individual case of sexual abuse is appalling and irre irreparable. The victims of sexual abuse have my deepest sympathy and I feel great sorrow for each individual case. That comes a lot closer, but again, it's not, I think, what, what people wanted. They want, they want him to specifically say, when I was the Bishop of Munich, I allowed this priest and others to continue in pastoral ministry. I'm sorry. Final, final words here. Benedict says, I've come increasingly to appreciate the repugnance and fear that Christ felt on the Mount of Olives when he saw all the dreadful things that would he would have to endure inwardly. Sadly, the fact that in those moments the disciples were asleep represents a situation that today, too, continues to take place and for which I, too, feel called to answer. And so I can only pray to the Lord and ask all the angels and saints and you, dear brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. Quite soon I shall find myself before the final judge of my life, even though as I look back on my long life, I have great reason for fear and trembling. I am nonetheless of good cheer, for I trust firmly that the Lord is not only the, last, the just judge, but also the friend and brother who himself has already suffered for my shortcomings and is thus also my advocate, my paraclete. In light of the hour of judgment, the grace of becoming a Christian becomes all the more clear to me. It grants me knowledge and indeed friendship with the judge of my life and thus allows me to pass confidently through the dark door of death. In this regard, in this regard, I am constantly reminded of what John tells us at the beginning of the apocalypse. He sees the Son of Man in all his grandeur and falls at his feet as though dead. Yet placing his right hand on him says to him, Do not be afraid. 
it is I. Dear friends, with sentiments, I bless you all. Benedict the Sixteenth. So that's the statement. I made some comments along the way, and I think I will um, leave off my comments there. Um, it's sad. Uh, we've seen it, you know, abuse with traditionalists. We've seen abuse with the liberals. We've seen abuse at the top, at the bottom, everywhere. And uh, it's got to stop. It's horrible. And uh, we need more millstones uh, for these, these wicked men. I would ask you to like this video, but it's just not a video to like, is it? So I guess today you don't have to hit the like button. Um, it's not even a video I wanted to make, but I was like, it's getting, it's so big in the media right now. I felt that I need to, to touch on it and explain to my audience what's going on and, and present the letter, present some of the facts. And again, I don't want to be too harsh or too lax about it. I don't know what the right analysis is. Maybe more info will come out more, but just to share what I know and what I've seen so far. And that's it. All right, we'll close. Uh, we'll pray for all victims of abuse uh, and by praying the Hail Mary for them. Oremos. Nomini Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicuterat in principio, et nunc et semper, in secula seculorum. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, may God bless you. Make sure you're praying that rosary every single day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. Pray the rosary. Our mother's a good mother. She'll protect us. So let's continue to say our prayers. Read your Bible every day. Keep the Catholic faith. Most important, just stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Because i tell you what, the shepherds are not doing a lot of shepherding. They're doing a lot of hiding. So stay close to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He'll lead you on the way, even if you've got a hireling leading your local flock. And remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless and Godspeed.